Well, it's good to see you uh, here this morning. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Habakkuk. Habakkuk in chapter 3. Habakkuk in chapter 3. And uh, want to look at, pick up where we left off last Sunday. And so let's pick up in verse number 6. Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse number 6. So if you would please stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word. The Bible says he stood and measured the earth. He beheld and drove asunder the nations. And the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills did bow. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction, and the curtains of the land of Median did tremble. Let's pray. Father, would you speak to us this morning through your powerful, majestic, everlasting word. And Father, I'll thank you and I'll praise you for what you do and how you do it. In Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if you remember what we've looked at, uh, we've seen already in Habakkuk, where Habakkuk cries out to God in chapter 1, and he literally, if you will, accuses God of seemingly to be indifferent. He said, I see the sin of Judah, and God, it don't seem like you're doing anything about it. And then God speaks to Habakkuk and said, oh, Habakkuk, I'm already working, but you're just not going to like what I'm going to do. And God tells Habakkuk, he said, I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, and they're going to come against you, and they're going to pull you out of the land and take you into captivity. And Habakkuk responds, and if you will, in a complaint, but yet in the same time in confusion. And Habakkuk responds, and here's what Habakkuk says, how can you do that? How can you look upon evil people like the Chaldeans and how can you use them against a people that's more righteous than they are? And so then Habakkuk's waiting for God to answer his complaint. And we find out in chapter number 2 that Habakkuk crawls up into the watchtower and just waits on God. And God begins to lay out Habakkuk how he really sees the Chaldeans how he sees Judah, and how he, as God, are going to judge both. And so then, we come to chapter 3 last week. And Habakkuk in verse 2, he says, I've heard your report, the testimony of yourself. And he said, upon hearing the report of yourself, he said, I'm afraid. And here's what he meant, remember? He said, I'm in awe. I'm in awe of you God. And in verse 2, Habakkuk literally comes clean and says, God, I'm willing to accept whatever you do, however you want to do it. I am in awe of you. And then Sunday night we started in verse 3, and we found out that Habakkuk began to lay out in a song, a three stanza song, of how much in awe he is of God. And this we pick up in verse number 6. This is the second stanza to this song that Habakkuk sung. And you say again, preacher, how do you know it was a song? Because if you look at the very last verse, verse 19, it says to the chief singer, on my string instrument. In other words, Habakkuk is singing a song acknowledging his awe of who God is. Now I want to ask you a question. 
If you had to define what it means to be in awe of God, how would you define it? And here's my struggle in the day and age we live in. There's not many people today that have a true awe of who God is. And so Habakkuk's going to lay out some truth here in verse 6 and verse 7 that's going to help us understand as Habakkuk seen through God's report of himself how Habakkuk saw God. Now I want you to see this with me. I want you to see first the care of God. Notice the care of God. It says he stood. Now you say, well, what's the big deal about he stood? Well, there's a couple things you learn from Scripture concerning when God stands. Number one, you learn first that it's the posture of an important work. The Bible says in Hebrews that the priest stood daily ministering one day after another after another. In other words... Bringing the sacrifices in the temple, there was never a time when that work was finished. And so the priest would have to stand daily and continue to bring sacrifice. But this man, once and for all, and Jesus Christ finished what the priest could never finish, Jesus Christ satisfied the demand of God that the priest could never satisfy, and it said when he finished the work, he being Jesus sat down. But here Jesus stands. God stands. And you say, what do you mean? Habakkuk sees God as seeing this work of judgment as a very important work. Not only in Judah, but also in the Chaldeans. Because remember, God has to judge sin. And it don't matter which people it is. And so we find here that Habakkuk saw God in all of God, and he saw God, and he said he stood. But I want you to see, not only is it an important work, it's an intervening work. When God stands, listen, he's going to intervene. Aren't you glad today that Jesus Christ intervened on behalf of us in the relation to our sin? Aren't you glad that when he was on the cross, he said it is finished? Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ accomplished what no man could accomplish, and Jesus Christ intervened for you and me? We find this multiple times in Scripture. You could go to Acts chapter 7. We're not going to turn there, but I have it on your outline. Acts chapter 7, the Bible says Stephen confronted the Jews that crucified the Lord. And when Stephen confronted the Jews, it says that they went to him, and they went to him and cast him out of the city, and he, they began to stone him. And the Bible says that Stephen was in the Holy Spirit and looked up into heaven, and Jesus Christ stood. Now you can debate whether Stephen actually saw death at the stoning or if God took him before that. I'm not going to argue with that with you this morning. But here's what I'm trying to tell you. God interceded when Jesus stood. Paul said to Timothy in his imprisonment in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 17, notwithstanding the Lord stood with me. Aren't you glad today that no matter what you encounter in this life, God will intervene in your life and my life. Boy, what an encouragement to Habakkuk. Because remember, Habakkuk not only complained that God would use the Chaldeans to a people that he saw as more righteous than they, 
But then finally at the end of chapter 1, remember he said, how long will you let them cast their nets? In other words, Habakkuk is saying, God, are you going to let them go until there's no Israel left? But yet God's not going to do that, and God told him that in chapter 2. And so now Habakkuk says, wait a minute. He said, I saw God stand, and when I saw God stand, I knew God would intervene. God would step in. Was God going to bring Judah to chastisement through Babylonian captivity. He was. Was God going to allow the Babylonians to pull them out of the land? He was. But here's what also Habakkuk came to understand. But God, it's just for a season. And you'll intervene. So you see the care of God. But notice the second thing, the claim of God. Notice what it says here in verse 6. He stood and measured the earth. Now, you look at this word measured and you may think of it in terms of a surveyor. It's not what the word means at all. The word measure here has a twofold meaning. The first idea of this word measured speaks of the establishment of God's claim. And you say, what do you mean? Can I tell you, God knows that all things are His. And so when it says God measured, it, seems, it just means this. God marked out His claim. In other words, God stated His claim that He can move nations. He can move boundaries. He can give land to one or land to the other. He can control what nations do and what nations don't do. Listen to what I'm about to say, Liberty. I don't care what the news says. I'm telling you right now, no matter what you hear about the news and no matter what you hear about what's going on overseas and no matter what you hear that may go on in America, God is still in control of it all. He has established his claim. You say, how do you know? Because he created it. And it's his. That's what you find in Revelation chapter 4, chapter 5. Who, who, who is worthy to open the book? The title deed to the earth. They looked around. No one was worthy. And then the Lamb of God stepped forward. And he said, he's worthy. God's already staked his claim. So you find here, God measured and he established his claim. I want you to turn with me just a moment to Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5, in referring to these same Babylonians that God's going to allow to bring Judah into chastisement. If you remember, Belshazzar gets an awakening, if you will when God woke, wrote on the wall. But the problem was nobody in Belshazzar's kingdom could interpret it. But Daniel could. I want you to see the interpretation and you'll see how God is sovereign over all. Watch what it says in, in verse 25. And this is the writing that was written. So in other words, Daniel's saying to Belshazzar, here's what he said. 
He said, Minye, Minye, Tekel, Paraz. This is the interpretation of the thing. Minye, God has numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Now, how many agree the Bible says that it was God that gave Nebuchadnezzar his kingdom? Well, here he tells Belshazzar, God's numbered it, and it's finished. To call, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. So in other words, Habakkuk knows what God is going to do. Habakkuk knows God's going to judge the Babylonians just like he's going to chasten those of Judah. And Habakkuk knows that, God, you're in such control that you can bring Judah out of their land and you can put Judah back in their land. You can raise up the Chaldeans to take them and you can bring the Chaldeans down by another nation. In other words, Habakkuk was at such awe of God that Habakkuk realized, God, you set the borders. You set the guidelines. And you can do whatever you choose to do. Now, how would this help Habakkuk? Well, it helped Habakkuk greatly. Because in those years of Babylonian captivity, what would Habakkuk and the people have to cling to? God, this is just for a time and a season. And there's going to come a day that you're going to deliver us from this captivity as you did from Egypt, and as you have before. Can I ask you a question today? When God saved you, did he deliver you from sin? But how many of you still battle with your flesh? So if God who saved you delivered you from the penalty of sin, is delivering you from the power of sin, do you not think God is able to continue to deliver you moment by moment, day by day, to the temptations of your flesh. You see the claim of God, the establishment of his claim, but notice the effects of his claim. This word measured has another, word, another meaning in the Hebrew, and here's what it means. It means to shake or to cause to tremble. Matter of fact, if you look it up in the in the Hebrew version, that's the way it's going to be translated. He stood and he shook the nations. So in other words, God established his claim, setting the boundaries. God, you can move nations however you choose to move nations. But in doing so, nations will know that you're God. And they'll tremble. They'll shake. You say, well, preacher, I'm telling you right now, the nations in this world sure are not shaking. Hang on. 
It's coming. Matter of fact, you read the revelation during the tribulation, and when God begins to pour out judgment, even the people in the tribulation that are being judged will cry out and admit that it is God, but still will not repent. Matter of fact, they'll even ask God to kill them, to spare them from the judgment. But they will not repent. I want to tell you something, folks. There's coming a day God's going to shake the nations. Well, I want you to see thirdly, not only the care of God and the claim of God, but the control of God. Look what it says here. He stood and measured the earth. He beheld and drove asunder the nations. When you look first at this word, he beheld. Speaks of God saw, God looked. And when God looked, the outflow of what God did in looking, it says here, drove us under the nations. Do you understand? The Bible says in Revelation concerning the Lord Jesus that his eyes are as fire. How many of you agree today God sees it all? Here's what it pictures. It pictures the piercing look of God. Study the Bible. Here's what you're going to find. When someone sees him, something takes place. Isaiah saw him, Donald. High and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. What happened? Isaiah saw himself. And he said, Woe is me, for I'm undone. The Bible says on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John saw the Lord Jesus transfigured in the glory of God. What happened? They fell on their face. Revelation says John saw him and fell on his face as dead. I hear people all the time tell me, they say, Preacher, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask him this, and I'm, I got news for you. When you get to heaven, here's what you're going to do. You're going to fall on your face as dead, just like John did, because the radiance of his glory will overwhelm who you are. His piercing look. But not only his piercing look, but notice this. His powerful loosening. This word here, when it says drove asunder, here's what it means. It means to startle or to violently loosen. But notice what it says. He beheld, he looked, and drove asunder, violently loosened the nations. Here's what it means that all it takes is a look from God and nations will be moved from their foundation. Let me ask you a question. Has God ever moved you from your foundation?
God ever shook you? God ever startled you? Bible says we ought to tremble at his word. Habakkuk said, I'm in so all of you, God. He said, I'm in so all of you. Why? Because I know when you behold, you'll cause startle. You'll violently loosen the nations from their foundation. They won't be able to stand against you. They won't be able to stand in your judgment. They won't be able to stand against your sovereign will and your sovereign ways. Folks, listen to me. I know we listen to what goes on today, and we think, well, listen, I don't know how far it'll go. I don't know how far it's going to take place. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Listen, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but God does, and nothing will happen tomorrow unless God allows it or God initiates it. I want to tell you something today. If you don't believe God's completely in control, you don't know who God is. Now does God allow things that make us scratch our head? He does. But I promise you this. He is always in control. If he wanted to shake every nation in this world, he will. And one day he will. Habakkuk said, this is going to happen. Let me give you a, a scripture reference for this. You remember when Israel came up against the Red Sea? And God was going to part the Red Sea that Israel could go across on dry ground. Listen to what Moses said. Find this. You'll find this in Exodus chapter 15, verse 14 and 16. Listen to what it says. It says, the people shall hear concerning the parting of the Red Sea and fear. Sorrow shall take hold on the inhabitants of Palestinia. Then the dukes of Edom shall be amazed, and the mighty men of Moab, trembling, shall take hold upon them. And all the inhabitants of Canaan shall made away. Fear and dread shall fall upon them. By the greatness of thine arm shall they, shall, they shall be as still as a stone till the people pass over. O oh Lord, till the people pass over which thou hast purchased. In other words, here's what God said. God said, listen, when I do this work, the people, the enemies of Israel, they're going to hear about it, and they're going to tremble. They're going to be in fear. You say, well, preacher, did that happen? Yes, it happened. You remember this. After they went across the Red Sea, what happened? They wanted to go to Canaan, but some people didn't want to go, so they sent spies. When they went to send spies, they came to a harlot's house named Rahab. And Rahab looked at them and said, where you been? Remember, they were fearful about going into Canaan. And Rahab said, where you been? What do you mean? We heard about what God did at Red Sea. We've been defeated ever since. Where you been? Folks, here's what I'm trying to tell you. I'm trying to tell you when you get an understanding through his word, by his Holy Spirit, of who God is. If you're not saved today, God will shake you. And if you are saved today, God will continue to shake you. Can I ask you a question? I want you to think on this just a moment. What moves you? If one of your kids is in trouble, does it move you? One of your grandkids gets in trouble. Does it move you? 
It should. But can I tell you one that ought to move you more than even your kids and your grandkids? What does it take for God to move you? What's God got to do? Well, can I tell you? He shouldn't have to do anything else. See, we've lost an awe of who God is. Habakkuk had an awe of who God is. Well, so not only do you find here the care of God and the claim of God and the control of God, you find the conquering of God. Look at verse 6. It says, And the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills did bow. So in other words, what do we find here? God has power over nature. The word scattered means to break apart. In other words, you remember earlier it says when God comes and then now God is coming and, and, and now Habakkuk has seen it as if God has come. In other words, in a prophetic way, yes, but yet at the same time when God comes, when he shows up, when he gets on the scene, his presence will literally bring down, break apart the boundaries that he set. Let me ask you a question. When God created the heavens and the earth, who's the one that set the mountains where he set them? You say, why? Because if he didn't, water would overcome the whole earth. So God put up the borders for where water could not go beyond certain points. In other words, God's the one that set the mountains. Well, I'm not very smart. But if the presence of God will cause the very mountains that God set to be borders, to break away. Shouldn't we be people that are broken before God? And you say, well, I don't see God's presence. Oh, you have, listen, if you're saved, you have something even greater. And you say, what do you mean? The Bible says that you're the temple of a holy God. His presence dwells in you. And you say, well, still, yeah, I can't see him. Oh, listen, if you're saved today, you can sense him. You can hear from him. You can experience him. But here's the question. Does his presence move you? Now, I'm going to be honest with you, people. God's trying to teach your preacher what this means. So if this ain't for nobody else in here, it's for me. Because I'm trying to learn what it really means to be intimate with God. And in intimacy, the experiencing of his presence, will continue to work brokenness in us. Not only does he have power over nature, he has power over nations. Look at verse 7. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. I saw the curtains of the land of Median, and they did tremble. Now there's a twofold prophetic word to this, this, this psalm. 
Number one, that that occurs with God, what God is going to do for Israel, bringing them out of Babylonian captivity. But can I tell you, there's another prophetic utterance to this in regards to what God's going to do one day in the tribulation. Revelation chapter 16, verse 17 and 19, the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and there was a great earthquake such as were not since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake, so great. And the great city which is divided into three parts, the cities of the nations fell. The great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. God's going to shake the nations and bring Israel back out of Babylonian captivity. But at the same time, there's coming a day God's going to shake the nations for one last time. But aren't you glad today if you're saved, you don't have to go through that? But if you're not, and the rapture happens, You're going to have to endure it. And here's the sad part. Because 2 Thessalonians 2 says that if you've heard the gospel, God will bring a great delusion upon you that you'll choose to believe a lie, being the Antichrist, and you will not have a chance to be saved if the rapture happens today. You say, how do you know? Because everybody in this place is going to hear the gospel before you leave here. Well, lastly, the character of God. Habakkuk says, I'm in awe. I'm in awe of your care. I'm in awe of your claim. I'm in awe of your control. I'm in awe of your conquering. But I'm in awe of your character. His ways are everlasting. Now watch this. There's a contrasting truth about God here. And you say, what is it? Watch this. The nations will be drove asunder. The mountains will crumble. The tents of Median and the, the, the places of Kushan will be trembled or will be shaken. But his ways are everlasting. Now can I tell you what that means? Everything else in this world can be loosened, moved, changed, destroyed by the permissive will of God. But can I tell you something that will never change? God's ways. I think some people deceive themselves in thinking, well, that was the God of the Old Testament. God of the Old Testament's not like the God of the New Testament. I got news for you. He's never changed. The only difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is you and I get to get under the grace that came by the Lord Jesus Christ through the shedding of his blood. That's the only change. But God hadn't changed. You just better be glad God who is as holy in the New Testament as he was in the Old Testament, allows you and I to live under grace and not under the law. Because if we lived under the law, let me tell you how many people I'd be preaching to, to, to this morning. 
none of you. You say, what do you mean? Because I wouldn't be here preaching either. How many of y'all ever picked up any sticks on the Sabbath? Some of y'all mow the yard on the Sabbath. Come on! How many of y'all pick up sticks on the Sabbath? Well, God told Moses, stone them. Aren't you glad we live in grace? <laughs> Are y'all with me? Say amen. I, I mean, listen, it's amazing. But notice lastly, the consistent truth about God. His ways are everlasting. In other words, how they are today, they will be tomorrow, and they'll be the next week, and they'll be the next year, and they'll be the next year, and the next century, and the next century, and the next century. God stays consistent. Is God going to judge Judah? Yes, he has to. Is God going to judge Babylon? Yes, he has to. Is God going to judge all the nations? Yes, he has to. Is God going to judge the lost? Yes, he has to. But if you're saved today, God already judged you through the person of the Lord Jesus, and he took the judgment upon him himself but yet sin had to be judged God couldn't change so here's the invitation what's it going to take what's God got to do that he's not already done to shake you to move you to loosen you from corrupt way of thinking, self-centeredness, putting pleasure above God. What's God going to have to do? Because here's the truth, folks. If you're here this morning and you're lost, you can let Him through the conviction of the Holy Spirit shake you now and be saved never ever to have to endure the condemnation of sin again. Or you can wait till you breathe your last breath. You'll find out the God who set all the boundaries in place. It caused the mountains to quake. It caused the mountains to break away. He'll shake you in a way at the great white throne judgment of Christ. But then it's too late. Christian, what's God trying to shake loose in your life? Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's unforgiveness. There's things in your life you know you haven't surrendered to Him. You've ne you, you, you just got an area of your life you refuse to raise the white flag. And God, through His Word and through the conviction of His Holy Spirit, He's trying to loosen you from those things. Why don't you let Him this morning?
Because I promise you, if you're saved, He can do it the easy way or He'll do it the hard way, but He'll do it. He'll do it. You stand. You obey God. Father, have Your will and Your way in this time. Father, I thank You that we can't live the Christian life. Only Your Son can. But Father, we must yield. We must submit. We must surrender. We must allow You to work repentance in us. Father, what I've prayed this morning, I pray again. If nothing else happens in this place this morning, that we leave this place with a greater awe of who You are. May that be. Father, maybe there's some individuals in this place who just have to be honest with You and say, Father, as much as I thought I was in awe of You, I realized this morning I really wasn't. And I just need to ask You to forgive me. Work this in me. And I'll give You the praise, the honor, and the glory. In Jesus' name.